0: The new book, Sacred Shelter, 13 Journeys of Homelessness and Healing, follows the lives of formerly homeless New Yorkers who graduated from a life skills program and share their journey on a path of discovery, forgiveness, and growth. Good morning, I'm Robin Shannon and this is Fordham Conversations. Joining me in the studio is Fordham Professor Susan Greenfield. She serves as editor of Sacred Shelter, 13 Journeys of Homelessness and Healing. Also in the studio are James Addison and Dennis Barton, who are two of the 13 people who share their experience with addiction, homelessness, transformation, and hope. Welcome, everyone. Welcome. Hi. Thank you. Hi. Thank you Thank Hi you Robin. for having us. So I want to start with James and Dennis. Your lives had similar paths. You both had families from the South that moved North. You spent your formative years in New York City. So describe what the city was like for you as preteens, you know, James, can we start with you? You grew up in Washington Heights. What was the neighborhood like back then?
1: Well, the, the neighborhood back then was, it was mixed. It was with, they had um, some Jewish, um, black, and some Hispanics there when I moved there. I was I was five years old when uh, I came up from South Carolina. You know, first my dad came up, you know, because he wanted uh, a better life for his three sons. So, um, so he sent for, he sent for my mother and, and his three sons after he had been up here for five years. And so it was, um, it was a beautiful neighborhood. It was, it was, it was one of the joyous times of my life, actually, um, from, from the age of five to 10. Um, we was, we all, we all played out in the streets. We made our own toys, um. We played basketball. Um,
0: Is that where we get those pictures of people playing, uh, what, stick ball, and, stick ball And the ball and, up against the wall. Yep, <laughs> yeah, all
1: yeah. of that. We made our own scooters. And, you know, I had two Jewish friends who were twins um, who we all just played together. And um, it, was, it was really nice and a really nice time in my life.
0: And Dennis, you too, you uh, uh, actually spent time uh, near
2: Fordham University. I grew up on Southern Boulevard. Right, down the right street. Here, right up here <laughs> in Southern Boulevard and Freeman Street. Um, and uh, I would come to know years later, James and I were talking one night on a retreat, and we found out that our families were actually from the same town Wow! in, in South Carolina. My mom came here for the same reasons, to give me and my brother a better life. Um, she, she sent for my brother. I was actually born here. I like to joke a lot of times. I say, I'm from the South, and people will ask me where. I say, the South Bronx. <laughs> <laughs> um, but James, you know, I want to acknowledge what James said. You know, I grew up in a very mixed neighborhood in the South Bronx at that time uh, on Southern Boulevard. I remember Jennings Street when it was full of markets, uh, mm-hmm. Jewish markets and, and Italian markets. You could go around there and get Italian sausage in one store and, and kosher chicken in another store. Um, I remember FW Woolworths on Wilkins Avenue. Um, so it, it it you know, um it was a very mixed neighborhood. In fact when I went to junior high school, I actually took Hebrew. Hebrew was offered at my junior high school. Yeah. So um, it was a beautiful time. We made uh, made our own scooters. <laughs> <laughs> Dennis,
1: remember remember waking up in the morning and smelling the bread, bread. from the yeah, bread, bread factory, factory on oh Wilkins my Avenue. Lord. Yes, yes. <laughs> Where was the bread
2: factory? The bread factory is on Wilkins Avenue. You get up in the morning and you go outside, or if you were like going to church or something, you smell the bread. Oh man! And Lord. and my mom, my mom would sometimes go around there, go around there <laughs> <laughs> to the bread man and get some of that fresh bread. It was so hot. <laughs> so delicious that by the time you get home, right, and put the butter on it, it's still melting. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so you all had your families with you.
0: Um, uh, Dennis, you had uh, your brothers and your mom, uh, mm. but you really didn't know your dad. So what was
2: your family life like? Um, you know, um, I can say this. That I was never hungry, I was never raggedy, and I was never out of doors. My mother did everything she could to make sure I always kept a roof over my head, clothes on my back, and a belly full. Um, um, I didn't get everything I wanted, but I got everything I needed. Um, my brother My brother was actually seventeen years older than I, so by the time I started walking and talking, my brother was you know pretty much out on his own going, "You know, you already had kids and everything, but my brother would always come back he would always come back to them he was the male figure in my house you know he taught me what what was right and what was wrong um but um um so it, 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 you know i i can say in my early years you know it was it was i was a kid growing up i didn't i didn't have all those things that I, you know that i would learn later <laughs> yeah
0: yeah, James, you, uh, I know you had your brothers and your mom and your dad were together in the beginning.
1: When my, my mom and, 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 and dad broke up um, while we were still in Washington Heights, um, and that really affected me. I remember um, that really hurt me a lot when um, my father wasn't, wasn't around like he used to. And, and from there, at about the age of 10, we moved from Washington Heights to the South Bronx and at then my mother was seeing somebody else um a stepfather who 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 was an abusive man um who you know was very disciplinary and um so so moving to the south bronx was i moved from that great neighborhood i was in and the south bronx was kind of totally different the block i was on you know my first my first day on the block, I got threatened you know by some people living there, and so it was you know it was really um
0: is that when when troubling times started happening for you because your 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 stepdad was was abusive yes. to you and your mom and your brother, um, Is that when things started going downhill a little?
1: Yes, I, I would say um, from my time going into junior high school um it was um you know that that was a time um you know um running away from home because i didn't want to take the beatings so I, I was stayed out on the street a lot um you know and i guess looking for love in all them wrong places you know so you got hooked up with the with the wrong crowds and you know but um but that that was my introduction out onto the streets by you know, um, the age of 12, 13, smoking weed and, and drinking with, with, with buddies out there. And so, and by the age of 15, um, I was already a heroin addict at the age of 15 from being, and at that time, you know, a lot of drugs piled up into the South Bronx. A lot of cheap drugs came in in the, in the late sixties and early Mm seventies. So a lot of us got hooked up with heroin and, um, and so that that became my life and and so, so from the age of fifteen on I was a heroin addict, you know, and got involved with gangs. There was a lot of gangs in the South Bronx, the you know, the javelins, the savage nomads, Goodness, but savage skulls. Savage skulls, yeah. So I, I was more closely connected with the javelins. And so, you know, it was it was a hard time for me.
0: This is Fordham Conversations on 90.7 WFUV. I'm Robin Shannon, speaking with Fordham University professor Susan Greenfield. She serves as editor of Sacred Shelter, 13 Journeys of Homelessness and Healing. It's a new book out right now. And also joining us are James Addison and Dennis Barton, who are two of the 13 people who are sharing their experiences through this new book. I want to hear a little bit about a, a traumatic experience that happened to you uh, right near
2: here um, It was Easter vacation um, I had just got a new bike right? My mom went up to EJ Corvettes Over on Brooklyn Boulevard And bought me a bike And I wanted to ride my bike in the park um, I was riding through the park one afternoon During Easter vacations School was out And uh, I got to the crest of a hill Over there by Katrona Pool right? And I stopped this guy walked up on me and asked me could he get a ride. I said, "No." Um he grabbed the the bike where the seat meets the frame, that bar, and said, "Get off the bike." I said, "No." He pulled a knife and stabbed me. He continued to stab me. He stabbed me about 15 times. And how old were you? I was like 14, 15. Wow. Mm. I was like, "Yeah, yeah, it was like my second year in high school or something." Mm-hmm. Right? And um and so um luckily there was a, a an elderly lady sitting on a bench and a couple a couple was sitting there smooching that's what they called it back then <laughs> right and but they saw what happened the guy when he saw that i had started bleeding he, i guess he just ran he got scared and ran off without the bike but the <laughs> yeah but the lady that was susan laughing at you yeah <laughs>
3: Very important <laughs> detail. Without the bike, is kept pleading, your bike. But he yeah. has his bike. I still he had my bike.
2: <laughs> um, but um, uh, the lady and the two kids somehow they were able to find a policeman, and they threw me in the back of the car. And uh, the next thing I know, I was at Fordham Hospital, which used to be right here, right here, right here. You you guys took over part of that where that where that mm-hmm. hospital mm-hmm. sat. It's now your gym or something. I don't know. But anyway, I got to Fordham Hospital, and um, 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 I was in the hospital for about two or three weeks, you know. Um, Yeah, when it was a really traumatic experience. But I want to say that, you know, as I think now, you know, um, when trauma happens to people now, you know, they get counseling and everything like that. I just went back to school, (laughs) Mm -hmm. you know.
3: Robin, can I just interrupt? Because I I would like, um, you know, I know both James and Dennis really well and their stories really, really well and there's one other story i would like james to have an opportunity to tell and that's when he asked why are they not teaching black history in the school ah that okay. happens a little bit when you're a little bit younger right i
1: think y- yes i'm in junior high school and i believe i'm in the 7th grade and of course you know i at at this time i've been listening to um uh, Malcolm X and a lot of the different freedom fighters. Then, so because um, this is around the, the what the sixties yeah sixties yeah late sixties early seventies and and so I, I asked my teacher why aren't you teaching us black history in here and and the teacher wouldn't answer me so I asked I challenged the teacher. Why aren't we learning Black history about our history here? And so, and so when I got when I got home, the teacher had called my house and said I was starting trouble Uh-oh. in the school. And so, and right, let me guess, you talked to your your stepdad, who was who was not and, the and, nice one, and he beat me. Mm-hmm. He beat me really bad. Um, and 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 you weren't trying to be a smart aleck. No, I was just. Wanted to know why they weren't teaching us black history, you know. Um, um, I just wanted to know more about who I am, who, you know, who our history was, um, especially after listening to, you know, um, some of the, some of the, um,
2: the leaders, the leaders, yeah.
1: And so I, w- I just wanted to know and, and wasn't trying to start trouble, but that took a lot of spirit out of me when I got home, you know, and that's what
0: uh, I was going to ask. Did it, did it, it must've diminished, you know, it your dimi- feeling? It,
1: of- d- it diminished me. Yeah. And it took a lot of spirit out of me. And, um, uh, and, and at that point I, I, I just stayed out in the streets more, you know, after that point, because, you know, I just, I just didn't feel like, um, I was listened to or being heard and my family wasn't listening to me. You know, they believed the teacher over me. So that, that was a hard time.
0: So having these, this uh, Dennis and James, this sort of parallel, not completely, but parallel existence where you have basically good families, but there are periods where you are um, devalued. Um, and then you end up having to kind of hang out a little bit, in the streets, um, hang out with people who might not have your best interest at hand. Help me understand how your mind is processing going from a deflated, not ego, but, you know, having that support to saying, okay, I, you know what, I'm going to go ahead. I'm going to try a little bit of weed. I'm going to try heroin and eventually some other drugs.
2: Help me understand how the mind works to get you from one place to the other. Okay, so first I want to I want to I want to uh, uh, piggyback on something James said sure. earlier. Drugs were cheap. Mm. During the 60s, drugs were cheap. If you had $5 in your pocket, you could buy a bag of dope mm. and still have enough money, right, to go to White Castle across the street there and get 10 hamburgers and a soda and get change. Drugs, you know, a bag of dope was only $2. Mm-hmm. A hamburger at White Castle was, what, $0.08, $0.15? Cent, cent? Yeah. yeah. so drugs were cheap. They were plentiful. It was plentiful. You know, our, our neighborhoods were flooded with drugs. So, you know, part of the mindset is that, you know, and then you, you talk about being devalued. You know, um, don't forget, I went to Roosevelt High School right across the street. This neighborhood back then was predominantly white and Italian. You understand? I I went to Roosevelt during the first year of open enrollment in this in the city. So that meant kids from Harlem, the South Bronx, could come up here and go to school. We were the minority up here, you know. And everywhere we went, we were looked at, being devalued, you know. And so we kind of we kind of tried to stay within ourselves. And and of course that led to us doing things that we, you know we shouldn't have been doing
0: and when you mean stay within yourselves you mean stay up at one point you get to a certain age where you're not hanging out with your jewish and italian friends you're now hanging out with only other black friends and
2: and again uh, uh piggybacking on what james said we're listening to stokely carmichael uh malcolm x martin luther king you know and we're we're searching for our identities but then it was also you know the pimp standing on 125th Twenty Fifth Street, to who we were looking at and saying, "Look, he got all the money," and and so we kind of, some of us fell into that, you know. Some of us fell into it, hook, line, and sinker. Um. You know, for me, for me, you know, I had been taught well. I'm, su- I'm sure, as James was, we had been taught better, right? But we felt we were trapped. We were trapped. Our neighborhoods were flooded with drugs. I lived in the Bronx through the white flight of the 60s and 70s you know and you know things were burning down around us I remember when Martin Luther King got killed right I was going to night school up here at Roosevelt then you know there were riots up here you know so we were trapped you know that's the best way I can I, I can explain it we were trapped into in a in a in a society that didn't really care about us The society seemed like they were doing everything they could to get rid of us. Dennis, shortly after you were stabbed,
0: you also got the first taste of sort of an unjust legal system. Do you want to share what happened?
2: Um, I was I was standing somewhere one day and um, I was uh, I actually had drugs on me. So let me tell the truth, shame the devil. I actually had drugs on me. But it wasn't a lot of mouth. It was like a little little bit of weed, right? Uh it was a little bit of weed. Mm-hmm. It was a little bit of weed. And um the authorities came up on me, right? Um and the amount of weed I had then it was what they call a roach. Mm-hmm. You know, the the end part of a, a, a like a cigarette, a marijuana mar- cigarette. cigarette. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And um I was you know, I was just about to walk away. You know, they searched me. They didn't find anything, you know. And then one of the authorities uh, said, search his coat. And that's where they found the roach. And for that roach, which today I, would, I wouldn't have even been charged, I spent the night in jail, my first arrest for a roach.
3: And you felt like, I mean, as I recall, because this was really powerful for me when I was listening to Dennis, that really changed your whole view of your future because the cops were taunting you. Can you tell a little bit about that? Because I think that's important.
2: Yeah, back during back at that time, you know, if you got arrested, you know, like that was the end of your life. You, you know, you couldn't get a hack license. You know, they would tell you you can't get a, a, a you can't go to barber school. You were done. And and I think in 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 psychology they call it social stratification. You know. But you were done. And that's what I fed into. I fed into that. You know, I can't, you know, I got a record now. You know? I got a record. So I'm done. And so...
0: Which also feeds the the helplessness.
2: Help, exactly. It feeds the helplessness. What can I do? You know, I'm, I'm on a path now that I... And, you know, um, um, I look back now, I look back now, um, some of my friends who... Also got arrested. You know, they went to work for transit. You know, they work in the post office now. But I fed into that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Susan, uh, and and I I definitely want to get back to both Dennis and James's story, but uh, you have covered... How many people did you have to interview? We have 13 in the book, but...
3: Well, my experience... um goes back before the book because I've worked with several life skills empowerment classes to help people tell or write their stories as part of the program and also earlier or in addition um I I arranged for some people to go to story so honestly I don't know how many people (laughs) I've worked with it's Mm. probably around 20 it's but in a these 13 people that I interviewed, that was a completely different experience because the interviews were very long. They took place over a long period of time, two days. Um, but but Dennis's interview, for instance, <laughs> ran. Yeah. we were, we had we to ran go buy another teeth. memory <laughs> chip, and <laughs> James was pretty long, too. And mm. so it was a, a really different and experience and extremely important one in my life and I feel so honored by it you know who am I to have been the person to hear these stories but somehow I was
0: something you wrote in uh the book sacred shelter you said um you walked away from each of the interviews highly respecting the people that you interviewed um did you guys feel that with the uh, questions
1: absolutely absolutely um yeah um it you know um the it, the stories um you know you have you you reliving your life in these stories and um and it brought back a lot of emotions a, a lot of feelings a lot of tears um but also healing you know and and um and you know the story You know, I think it's important that our voices be heard, you know, that every voice should be heard. And and inside of the stories, you know, there is um, there's pain, there's there's but there's also redemption, you know, and there's hope. And, you know, um,
0: now, were you ever at any point just tempted just a little to kind of, you know, kind of fix it up a little bit maybe not tell the the worst parts of it maybe kind of at any point where you're tempted to do that
2: let me let me say this uh robin um that that you know susan susan i want to give props to her you know um i met susan when she first i was i was co-facilitating one of the life skills programs at one time susan came as a mentor right and after that semester she said I wanna help with the stories. And I watched Susan work with our our participants and crafting their stories. Um, And so when Susan came with this, you know, with this proposal, you know, I think, I don't know if I would've done it for anyone else. Mm -hmm. Um, And as to your question, well, are we gonna tell the whole truth and nothing but the truth? I think think that um, by telling our stories we may, have, we may have rearranged it, you know, but we put it out there. We put the truth out there. It may not be as graphic as some people would like it to be, but we put it out there, not just for them, but for us to get so we can heal ourselves mm-hmm. so that we can own our story. Am I right, James? Yeah. We yeah. want to own our story. We want to own what happened to us you know i can walk around today right i can walk around today and apply for any job and they ask mm-hmm. me you know where well, where you came from yeah read the book <laughs> <laughs> i have no fear and no yeah. shame and no shame that's what's free that's what's free no fear and no shame yeah
1: and 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 uh, and, uh, and also you know with with susan you know she 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 treated you know when when you was telling your story you know i think it's important that you know that you 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 treat people with dignity and respect you know and um and you create a space where a safety place where you feel comfortable in you know in telling your somebody especially to somebody you trust you know um and and yeah and like dennis said you know um telling your truth it frees you You know, um, you know, it frees you of the shame. It frees you of the guilt. It it just, um, you know, um,
0: and you're helping other people
1: that that's the main thing. Also, you know, we're we're helping others, you know, right now, you know, um, with this life skills programs, I have been a mentor to others in these same programs. I go there every year to do workshops for them. um, And this has been over 20 something years now and Dennis the same thing he's been a mentor to some of the life skill participants you know um and it's been um because you know when 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 we get well now our families get well also and 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 therefore our communities you know get better and 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 it's just a way of giving back you know and and that's and that's what's fulfilling i want to dig a little bit into one of the biggest parts of,
0: of of the book was the challenge with homelessness so how did you each end up homeless well who wants to go first
2: um this is dennis yeah um i guess m- my m- my homelessness stemmed directly to my drug use i became homeless in about the mid 80s um and by that time i had been through heroin and weed and all of that and cocaine did the cocaine epidemic and i had found this new drug crack you know and i i guess crack was directly directly related to my homelessness you know crack was the most insidious drug that i ever did i'm just saying that you know it just told me it was all right for me to sleep in the park It was all right for me not to go home. It was all right for me to go out and just hustle in the street. This is what it told me. You know, this is what my addiction was telling me at that time. Um, And so. And your first time trying it, you
0: didn't even plan on trying it. It No, I didn't.
2: uh, No, it It was actually, um, you know, I, I, I went and bought some cocaine and I was in the company of some other people and. And this person took my cocaine and put it in a in, in some water and with some baking soda, and, and I'm looking at them like they, what are you doing? Right. And they cooked this thing up, and it came back, and they said, here, try this. And I and that night, I remember spending every dime I had and walking home from Brooklyn
3: to the Bronx.
2: To the Bronx, <laughs> you know. And so, um, why was it so powerful? Because it was cheap. You know, and it was it was it was a a quick high, you know what they used to say, James, seven seconds
1: it was very addictive, very addictive
0: and James, you said something you said um in the book uh, sacred uh sacred shelter, you said uh crack was worse than heroin, crack mm-hmm. took away what dignity I had
1: left, yeah, that's right, help me understand that well. Well, with, with with heroin, you know, um I was you know, I was still dressing pretty good, you know. Um, still had girlfriend, you know. You know, I, I still had something, you know, but with the crack it took away all of my self respect. Um, um the the people in the neighborhood are looking at you and just, you know, um um, you know the 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 crack dealers are treating you like, like you're you know garbage, like you're garbage, and and um and
0: so if if heroin was a guy and crack is a guy and you meet them both. Um, Explain to me, I'm really trying to understand the mindset of heroin is this guy I met and he's talking to me and telling me this stuff and I'm going to do what he says. And here comes crack and crack is this other guy who's going to tell me. So help me understand the mindset of how, how different they are, how different they affect people.
2: Think about it this way. Um, This is my experience, right? Um, Dennis, I'm talking. Um, So um, I was doing heroin, right? I would do heroin, right? And if I was home, I'd get my fix, right? And then I'd go somewhere and sit down or I'd start cleaning the house. Remember that, right, James? Mm -hmm. Yeah, you start cleaning and you started doing stuff. You were able to function. And uh, heroin, a lot of times addicts would have their, they would already have their shot for the next day or the money to get their shot for the next day. Crack was different. Crack, as soon as you did it, right? And the high wore off in like a couple of minutes, you were out there trying to find the next hit. You know, there was no stopping, you know, and you would just keep going and going. And I think that's what James means. You lose all self-respect because, you know, you don't care about your, your hygiene. You don't care about your health. All you want is that next hit.
0: Tune in next week for the second part of my interview with James Addison, Dennis Barton, and Fordham professor Susan Greenfield. It's all part of the new book, Sacred Shelter, 13 Journeys of Homelessness and Healing. For Fordham Conversations, I'm Robin Shannon.